Howdy, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Herdmates Podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to be speaking with a friend and a brother, Danny Vega, Mr. Danny Vega of <laughs> Fat Fueled Family. And um, why don't we just get into you introducing yourself to the rest of the Ruminati herd here? Well, thank you, Peter. It's so awesome to be here. Every time we get together, it's uh, it brightens my day. Um, I am well. First of all, we met in 2017, I believe, at KetoCon at a at an event, and we just kind of hit it off in a really big way. And uh, my background: um, I was born and raised in Miami. Um, always loved sports. Um, my dad put me in football at nine years old, and and um, it was just perfect for me. You know, I, I was a, a very physical child. I was very, I was violent for a while. I had to go through, um, uh, through anger management in seventh grade. <laughs> um, but yeah, football was just a great, um, just channel for me to, to, to channel that, um, aggressiveness. And, um, and then by eighth grade, I was really, really getting into it. And then my football coach and my dad were, were like, cause I was also a skateboarder. <laughs> Oh, and wow. and they yeah and they said listen you got to stop the skateboarding because you know you got to pick one or the other and so I I did and and my whole goal throughout high school was to was to play college football and um, I, I ended up playing at Columbia University and um, did really well in high school and um, college was just amazing being the fact that my dad didn't graduate from high school didn't even finish tenth grade my mom didn't go to college you know they're both the first generation to emigrate from Cuba and I am the first generation born in this country. So it was just like, I didn't even know what Columbia university was when they first started recruiting me. I thought it was in DC, you know, I figured district of Columbia. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, I just, it was amazing to, to, to be there in NYC and was there during nine 11 and, um, it was kind of crazy, but you know, in 2004, I graduated and my, my strength and conditioning coach had a really big effect on me. And, and, and I kind of always wanted to do this in the back of my mind anyway. So I found this really cool program at the University of Florida that was going to be the first of two in the nation, which I'm sure by now there are many more, uh, non-research-based master's programs for anyone wanting to go into either strength and conditioning, um, you know, collegiate strength and conditioning or, or athletic training, or maybe continue on as, uh, as part of before they get their PhD, maybe get some more practical stuff because we were, we were working on program design. We learned all, every single type of diagnostic testing, more focused on more like, um, like stress tests, VO2 maxes and all that stuff and uh, was a, an intern in the weight room for the whole two years there. And, and I was working with men's and women's basketball. And then I was, after about eight months, I got a promotion and started writing the programs for men's and women's golf and men's and women's tennis. And then in April of 2006, we had won the national championship and I was getting ready to graduate. And the assistant head coach gets the job at VCU. They offer him the, the head coaching job in, at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And it was amazing. He called me on a Sunday and he said, listen, I kind of knew he was calling me because my mentor, who was the basketball strength coach, told me. And he just said, you know, what do you think about Richmond? And I said, well, I've never been, but I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we we showed up there and and we I was the head strength coach for VCU basketball. And we made history. We had the best record in school history and conference history. And then I did that for a few years. And then, you know, my hearing my dad's words in my ear when I told him that I was going to graduate from an Ivy League school and then go be a coach, he was like, what do you mean? What are you doing? You know, and I said, you know, I was always very independent and I never really depended on them financially. So I, I, I could kind of say, listen, this is what I want to do. And I, I have a plan. You know, if, if this doesn't work out in five years, then I, I can just fall back on my education. And um, in three years, I had accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. And then having um, spent so much time with, with basketball coaches from the NBA and college uh, and just learning so much about the culture of collegiate coaches. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle, you know, it's, it's a very, it's not a job, you know? And so like you basically spend 
the whole day, you know, morning to, to evening, and you just go to sleep in your house. It, it, it was fine for me at the time, but I, I realized that it was probably not going to be the best thing long term, you know, because I knew I wanted to get married at some point, and I knew how how much that lifestyle would would wear. It takes a special woman to be married to a coach. Put it to you mm-hmm. that way. So I moved back to Miami and I was just personal training for a while and then finally got a job in, in pharma. And I did that in did that for three years. And um, finally, after three years, I, by the way, my whole pharma and medical device career was in women's health. So every type of surgery that you could think of in the female pelvis, I was part of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after three years of pharma, I just there was it just got so bad. There was so much going on that I. I was being asked to market one of these products that I just, it was just, I couldn't look at the, the healthcare providers and do it. And so I moved away from that and I got into medical device sales and I did that for 10 years. But in 2016, something changed. Um, in June, I, I found the ketogenic diet, um, and it, which is just a really, really low carb diet for those who don't know. Um, and I had... As you can imagine, uh, having played on, on AstroTurf, which is just the worst type of turf, and, and just my body had, had been pretty beat up, and I also was powerlifting at the time. And so I just remember after a few days of that diet, just feeling so good, like my, my joints didn't hurt anymore. I felt like I gained several years back on my body, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that ignited, that reignited that passion for nutrition and fitness. And as the story goes, like, Two months later, uh, I reached out to a, a guy named Brian Williamson, who, who you know, and I told him, if you ever do anything with athletes, I didn't know, know what that meant, but I just said, just let me know. Maybe it was an interview. And it started with an interview, and he said, uh, I'm actually starting an athlete podcast for ketogenic athletes. And we just hit it off so well that at the end of that, he said, do you want to be my co-host? I said, well, let me talk to my wife. And uh mm-hmm. A year after that, I was, I had already been gotten to the point where I was, you know, Bayer had bought Monsanto and I just, I wasn't, I didn't know that part of it. I didn't love it. And then also the fact that the culture was changing and, um, and I just, I just knew that this is what I loved and I had the support of my wife. So I saved for a year and fast forward to August, 2018, we started our business and I quit my job. And uh, being the sole provider with two boys, um, mm. embarked on this journey, and we just celebrated two years in August. And since then, it's just all been about, you know, of course, for a lot of what I focus on has always been like performance and building muscle, and how does ketogenic or how do ketogenic diets perform, or how could they help people in all these different activities? And then as that as that continued it also kind of um, morphed into because of what we were doing with the kids. And we realized there were so many people getting healthier and they had kids and they, they weren't making that connection that maybe their kids are also human, you know, with the same physiology and that maybe they wait, should wait, do that with the kids. I'm going to need to see a reference on Eureka. that. <laughs> Fake news. Yeah. yeah there's, there's no, there's Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's so, so we just wanted, we, we were really passionate and that's why we called it fat field family. Cause we wanted to show how you put it all together, you know, practically. So we had five pillars. It was nutrition, fitness, parenting, education, and mindset. And that gives us a lot of leeway to go into so many different subjects that we love. And here we are now. And the last year has been quite a doozy and you're still there. That's great. Yeah. I think the, uh, I, it probably wasn't when we met, but I, I do still have the mental image of you running down the aisle after a presentation to get to the microphone to ask me a question uh, after the presentation. And I must admit, I was kind of looking for a way out for a second, but then you stopped and saw, okay, we're all good. Um, I'm not sure how much, I'm not sure how long I could have outrun you, but, (laughs) um, and yeah, it has been one of the bright spots of going to some of these conferences or these people that you meet, but, um, 
And we haven't been able to do that for a while. So it's, it's wonderful to have the chance to reconnect. Fat fuel. Okay, there's an idea because we're basically, well, we're told that based on what the, the, the recommendation for what constitutes a healthy diet, that most of the energy is supposed to be coming from carbohydrate, not from fat. So this gets to the heart of what you're talking about when you say a keto diet or a ketogenic diet or a restricted carbohydrate diet. I mean, we're, we're going to put ketogenic at sort of a lower level of carbohydrate than a low carb diet would be. Mm -hmm. um, and you said that you, you learned about this. Remind me, please, the year you said, was that 2016 or earlier? It's funny. I didn't, I had never heard of keto, never, even in grad school. I mean, I remember learning about ketoacidosis, but I'd never heard about ketogenic diets, um, right. but it was 2016. <laughs> so, so here's someone who's gone through this high level training is working with athletes who clearly are concerned about their well-being as well as their performance. And the and so you, you essentially were out of that now. You were working in medical device at that point, mm -hmm. sales, and now you... So who did you hear about it from? I always love having the opportunity because I give him so much. I'm so grateful to him. And he just started his own podcast, so I'm just so happy for him. But a friend of mine, Trevor White, he, mm -hmm. um, he, used, to, he used to work in the lab at uh, University of Tampa with uh, Dr. Wilson and now Dr. Lowry. Um, and I remember in 2016, um, I didn't, I kind of didn't go over this part, but I was powerlifting at the time and I had torn my meniscus in my left knee and um, I had to pull out of a, a meet in March that year. So remember, this is before keto. So I was like, I need to get healthy. So I need to lose some weight. That's I was 245 pounds and it was, I was not fat, but I just was too heavy. And I knew if I lost some weight, it would take some pressure off my knee. And so I, I did what I knew, which was a bodybuilding type diet with really low fat. And, you know, it's funny because when you look at, um, when you look at things only through one symptom or one endpoint or one goal, you can, you can do a lot more things, but then you, you leave out so many other benefits that you can get. So for example, like if you restrict calories, uh, which is what I was doing by bringing the fat very low, fat is much more dense in energy than, than carbohydrates. So like if you have 20 carbs, that's only like 80 calories. But if you have 20 grams of fat, that's 180 calories. So um, when you start bumping up that fat, it really scares people because they're afraid of the fat. Um, so that's something that was the first thing for me, it wasn't that big of an issue because I was sick of eating Turkey bacon. Uh, in fact, the first week I know, can you believe that I would eat ground Turkey? I wouldn't even eat ground beef, ground Turkey, uh, Turkey bacon. And I, I, the first couple of weeks of doing this type of diet, I had a pack of bacon and I think I drank a lot of the bacon juice, like the, 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 the grease and everything wow. I was, I had a bacon aversion for like two months because it was just like you know it was just after that uh but but it's a very weird thing to be like well just just don't eat carbs and eat all the fat you want and it wasn't so much that because I've always been methodical with things so I was like how much should I eat to build muscle this way and I didn't really know I, I just kind of I had really high fat like I was having like 350 grams of fat a day I felt amazing um, I, I had already gotten to the leanness that I wanted to get, but I kept on getting leaner and it took me over a month. I had to add 700 calories back to my diet just to stop the, 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 uh, what, what would you call that? Um, just, just so much fast weight loss, you know, because it was like my body was a furnace. And so like what people need to understand with fat is that we have this naturally, um, almost endless fountain of energy in our fat, in our body fat. Like we have anywhere from 40 to a hundred thousand calories in our bodies that we can tap into. The problem is because we are just constantly eating carbohydrates, 
there's something that happens with a hormone called insulin. And when insulin's elevated, it's almost like it doesn't allow you to, to burn as much fat, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, people, I think the first thing they need to understand is like the, one of the only reasons why people have to, um, restrict calories is because they're eating the wrong foods. And so it makes sense that you would have to eat less of non or less, um, ideal foods because, you know, you, you might, it, it manifests as obesity, maybe because obesity is like, it's not the problem. It's just a symptom of other things that are going on in your body that, that aren't right. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm still looking for that image of the gasoline tanker truck that's out of gas by the side of the road with a full load, you know, who had that. I remember seeing that thing and then it, it compared it. Who was that yeah. at a KetoCon presentation or something? Well, it may have been, um, you know, it may be someone like Steve Finney. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but I that, that, that idea that you've got all this energy, but for it's, it's, in oh, the that was storage. in the book. Was that in the art and science of low carb? performance? Uh, yeah. I remember tell seeing now. It. Yeah. Um, but, but just as we are carrying around all this, fuel but maybe we can't get to it and because we can't get to it then people are hungry yeah. even though they're carrying around all this stored energy um like the batteries have been disconnected or they they only charge they don't discharge yeah. um so um okay this oh boy there's lots of ways to go with this um so Clearly, you can't build muscle <laughs> if you don't have the right building blocks, right? Yep. So I guess um, why should, and, and also preserve muscle, because if you don't routinely give the right building, the right nutrition, then we can see a loss, especially as we get older. Yeah. Or if people are sick for an extended period of time, there are conditions where they can lose lean body mass. So um, why should we be concerned about building and maintaining lean body mass? And what do we need for building blocks, if you will? Such a great question, both of them. So the first reason is, you know, I know you're going to be like laughing, but, you know, at 39, I know I'm young, but... My body, if I wouldn't have taken care of it the way I have the past, you know, five years, my body would feel much older for sure because of the mileage that I've put on it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm willing to bet that there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast that are probably my age range, maybe all the way to your age range, all the way. I don't want to say all the way. It's not that far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, yeah. I'll reach for the Geritol now. <laughs> We're talking, we're talking less than two decades, everybody. So it's like, you know, it's not even nothing Well, um, yeah. <laughs> that, that are, you know, now it's like what my friend tells me about training before, when you're young, you train with your nether regions. And when you get older, you train with your brain. And the same thing goes for the rest of us. It's like, when we're young, we don't care about anything. Like as far as health goes, it's more like aesthetics and we just want to look good and we just... But then as we, as we age, we start to realize, hopefully, that there's an expiration date, you know, and that we want to keep these things working as well as possible. And so one thing, one reason alone is something called sarcopenia, which is just, it's like, it's a combination of lack of activity, which means that less, um, your nervous system is, is kind of, uh, is innervating less muscle fibers. And your body says, you know what, we don't really need that muscle. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna get rid of it because use it or lose it. You know, mm -hmm. we just, and, and that's a big part. And then the other part is that when we, when we start losing and it, and it happens in the legs, most, you know, more, mm -hmm. more than anywhere, you know, the legs are, are the ones. And that's why we hear about, you know, when people have osteoporosis, a lot of the time we're thinking about the legs or even like, you know, people break hips. Um, and, and all of those things are, are a lot of the time because of they're so brittle, it's usually not, it's because something kind of, you fell because maybe something fractured and made you fall. It wasn't like a traumatic injury. Uh, and so we want to keep ourselves as robust as possible for as long as possible. Hmm. Um, if you look at the doctors that we respect the most, you know, the ones that not quite the, 
uh, the middle of the road, what you usually hear, you know, people like Dr. Baker and, and um, uh, Dr. Lyon and, um, you know, even uh, Ted what's Naiman. Ted's last name, um, all, Ted, Dr. Naiman, all, all these doctors who are talking about the importance of having a good waist to hip ratio, meaning like, you know, that your, your waist is smaller than your hips and, and that you can still sprint or or jump and and do all these things why would that matter to my weight it just it or to my health it just so happens that it just makes you so much more resilient and and even i know dominic diagostino has talked about this like muscle lean body mass is a great predictor for surviving cancers you know mm. so the more lean body mass you have the more muscle mass you have the more of a chance that you'll have for cancer because what ends up happening unfortunately is like you start to lose weight and lose muscle with cancer. And then what do they do? They give you like insure and they give you like these high sugar drinks, which may pack the weight on, but it's probably not going to pack on the right weight. And it's probably not going to be the right thing if you have cancer, because we know that those cells are going to gobble up all that sugar and ferment it, you know, when it, as it ferments and it's going to feed those cells. So there's just a million reasons why. So the, the second part, the what are the building blocks? That's a simple thing. Like we know that amino acids, you know, our uh, amino acids come from protein. And you've done so much great work on talking about the difference between crude protein and 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 usable protein. Um, we we can't just look at it as far as like grams because what's more important is amino acids. Because if we're talking about building muscle, it's not as simple as saying get your protein in. We need to have a, a, an adequate amount of leucine and isoleucine, which are the two most important amino acids for signaling, anabolic signaling, meaning like telling our bodies to, to put, put on mass. And, you know, the, the most abundant forms are in our, our meat, you know, our animal foods. Um, I know that chicken thigh is really high in, in leucine and isoleucine, but I think it's the highest one, which you could say that's a good thing. And I love my chicken thigh. But if you do ruminant meat, you also get so many other benefits because it's so much more nutrient dense, you know, so like anything, don't be afraid of red meat, you know, anything that comes from lamb, you know, cattle, bison, goat, you know, uh, venison, all of those animals, everyone here, I think will understand what ruminant is, <laughs> hopefully what, what ruminants are. I'm so glad that you do. <laughs> yeah yeah so well, you know um, you're the one who talked about how they how how they're just like these magical animals that that turn unusable food into usable food or at least starvation food in some cases um into you know actual high quality premium food yeah highest quality indeed um and you know my job has been to be a pipe Right. Um, um, I, I didn't do the research. I just know of the research. And so mm -hmm. I take it from the source and I but try that's to find it. Because that exactly. research, you know, that the layman is not going to, never even going to look for that, let alone even find it and then understand it. Yeah. And, and I guess the other thing that I recently came across, this is a bit geeky and nerdy, but um, if you make hay or you make silage and the moisture isn't just right, you can get something called browning. So there's a heating and what you find is this non-enzymatic binding of sugar and protein within the forage. And it lowers the crude, the protein digestibility of the forage, even for a ruminant. Wow. Well, well, guess what? When we take wheat, which is already a poor source of digestible, indispensable amino acids for us, and we make bread and make that crust, or we make a breakfast cereal where essentially the whole thing is crust, that's browning. That's the same thing. And so we're taking that leucine, which is one that's particularly susceptible to this reaction and driving its digestibility in some cases, well below 10%. So you've got something with a very low amount and now you're decreasing its digestibility. So, so it's also, that, also decreasing feed efficiency for the cattle, right? Well, if you did that for the cattle, yes. But when we process cereals, for example, for 
feed as opposed to food, we don't do the same things. We may crush it, we may roll it, we may grind it, but those typically aren't the heating processes. So one of the things I wanna find out here shortly is, okay, when we make these meat replacement products out of these various plant source ingredients, and we process them so heavily to end up with something that we're going to market as a, you know, whatever. What are we doing to the digestibility? And that work is being done. I can tell you that I know from conversations. Um, but one conversation I had with one of these researchers, he said, if you, if you look, say, to parts of the world like India, and you imagine an eight-year-old boy, eating as much as he's physically capable of eating. So, you know, whether his parents could afford that or not, but just assume that he had unlimited access to a rice and lentil diet. Oh. He couldn't, he couldn't ingest enough to give him the indispensable digestible amino acids that he needs to develop properly. Wow. And so, you know, I've, I've said before, there is such a thing, objectively, there is such a thing globally as too little animal source food in the human diet. We, we, we have lots and lots of evidence about it. It's high quality evidence from research perspective. I make the case that anything people want to point to suggesting that there's a harm from too much from a health nutrition perspective is really low quality evidence coming from nutritional epidemiology of chronic disease. It's yep. really not of the same. So that that's a bit of a tangent that I just took my Can own I program. Can I add something to it? Sure. Because absolutely. You mentioned, you know, because we're so passionate about children and there's several countries in Europe, um, Italy and France come to mind. They have different penalties, but um, with the exception of religious um, exemptions, and I don't even know if those exist in both of those countries, because I know France is a little bit stronger with, um, with what they allow, like they don't really allow as much even with religion. Um, it's illegal to, to raise your children on like a plant-based diet, um, because it, as far as illegal, it's not, it's, it's, you know, you can get fined. Um, you have to have, there, there are a few countries where you have to have regular checks with the doctor and, okay. and things like that and yeah. I, I would i would think that that's probably more on say one one of my campaigns is can we re rehabilitate omnivore as a word yeah. because it seems to me you're either going to eat n no animal source foods so you're vegan or you're going to be a carnivore and eat nothing but animal source foods or you're going to be an omnivore which is the great bulk of humanity mm -hmm. um and okay, you choose which ones you're going to eat, either because of personal preference or you've discovered that you react poorly to some and not to others, or it's, it's, it's a matter of what you can afford or it's culturally appropriate. All those things play, as, as you well know. But I, I think that it's, it's, it's clear, I mean, here are the statistics that I cite. We've got a quarter of children globally who are stunted. Yes, oh my gosh. A quarter yeah. of children five years or under are stunted. And that's due to a lack of the essential nutrients that they need to develop properly. And that's not just stature, that's also brain development. Wow. And, and, and from what I understand of brain development, if you miss critical phases, you never get to make those up. Yeah. So we're talking about something that now lasts for their entire lifetime. And when you read the people, uh, listen to the people involved in sustainability goals and sustainable society sort of things, they're saying, you know, this is due to a lack of animal source food in their diet. And there have been studies done where the intervention was one egg a day for a pregnant woman and then while she's, you know, breastfeeding. 
And then at some time down the road, they're able to measure scholastic performance differences in her children compared to children from that same region that didn't. Oh, get was the that that country in Africa that they looked at um, where they, the, they, they fed the children? It was like several months. It, it's, uh, I it's think Malawi one, one is one that they've done work in. They've done work in others. Sometimes they go to countries where they're already eating a certain amount of fish as part of their diet. You know, where you're going to see this is in, in populations that are dependent on, uh, on cereal diets. Um, and, and if they already have access to some, it really doesn't take a lot, you know, so, it, uh, but in any, so there, there's, there's that. On the other side, we now know that again, older farts, um, we get less efficient at utilizing protein. Oh, it's a big one. I should have mentioned and that so, one for sarcopenia too. So we, so we have these projections about how much we're going to have an increase in demand for animal source food. Well, they say protein. I, I want to get us away from talking about that as if it's, you know, let's have a serving of protein. No, no. It's, but, um, there's a there's a forecast for demand increase in demand by 2050 of something like two thirds for animal source protein. Wow, now, uh, I'm thinking that that's an underestimate because they're not accounting for the increasing age of the population and therefore their increased need for. The protein. Did you also tell in one of your talks, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but didn't you mention in one of your talks that they also use crude protein for the requirements? Oh, yeah. Or is that? Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. That's yeah. another factor. Yeah. Well, and of course, we're talking uh, about they're, they're predicting this increase for animal source protein. So they're already kind of, okay, okay. you know, cutting it down a little bit. But um, the the idea, you know, I'd say, and I've shown this data before, that the, the vast majority of humanity already lives on a plant source diet, plant-based diet, right? The majority of their calories, the majority of their, yes, crude protein is coming from plant source foods as opposed to animal source foods. And, and I think all the evidence shows that we just, we, we need to, make those animal source foods more available, more affordable for worldwide population. And then we can look at what, what do we do in the higher income countries to address these um, problems of chronic disease. Not that those are exclusive to the high income countries, but um, it, it, it looks a little different, right? I mean, yep. one of the things that blows my mind uh, was discovering that 45% of humanity consumes a thousand kilowatt hours or less a year, electrical wow. power. That's equivalent to what a large American refrigerator consumes in a year. Wow. That's 45%. The, the, the population of India that has no access to electricity, none, is greater than the entire population of the United States. Wow. And, and so, they're at two, 2 billion already? Or, or Well, I don't know the total. Maybe one point. Well over 300 million that don't have access to electricity. That's crazy. So, and, and as they develop you know, they're now trying to do what we did in the early 20th century, right? Um, we being in North America. Um, so these sorts of things, as I think about how do we, what do we need to do to help others develop appropriately? Um, these are questions and I think maybe if we could get a more global perspective, outside of the narratives that we're being subjected to, we might be able to sort of get past a lot of the, uh, you were saying it before, the us versus them, the outrage industrial complex, you know, the people that just- <laughs> So much money in it. Yeah. That's, the, that's their business. You know, yeah. they would not be happy if we all just said, what can we do to get along? 
you know, what can we do to help each other? So um, now, okay, you married with two relatively young children in this culture. Um, how do, how do you, what would you suggest or what do you suggest for people who, again, maybe this is something they're just going to start learning about and they're going to find some resources and they want to start, you know, they can't get to where you are after four years uh, yeah. of experience. They can't get to where I am after 13 years of experience. Um, so they've got to, you know, grow where they're planted. They've got to start where they are, but you know, it's a family dynamic. So yep. what are things that people can do to increase the, um, the, the chance of success for themselves and at the same time, keep peace in the household? Yeah, I think if 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 you're talking about like if you're living with a partner, if there's, you know, a romantic partner or like a husband or wife, um, the first thing I would do is is talk with my partner um, and just tell them, look, this is what I've learned. Um, I, I just it, I find it compelling and I want to give it a shot. But for me to give it a shot, you know, I'm going to have to protect myself. And so I wanted to see if you can come along this with me. You don't, you don't have to diet or anything like that. I just, this is why this, this, and this, this is what I've learned. And, and then when those two come up with like, you know, there's some consensus, hopefully, um, maybe that there, you don't have to eat directly, you know, exactly the same, but there should be a, an agreed upon list of non-negotiables. Um, for us, it starts with three simple things. We never will do wheat. So we'll never eat most grains we won't eat. Um, I like to eat occasionally white rice if I'm, if I'm using it, I'm Cuban. So it's like, but like I grew up eating white rice, but I, I, if I'm, if I'm going to have carbohydrates after a workout or something, if I'm using it for a targeted reason, then that's one of the only grains that I'll ever have. But we don't generally do grains and we definitely don't ever have wheat be just because we, we have now our children, the fact that they've done it for so long, now they're coming up with their own list of non-negotiables. Like my oldest, Desmond, he knows, and so, do, so does Dean about the wheat thing. Desmond's not a fan of cake. He doesn't do cake. Um, frosting usually leads into our second non-negotiable, which is, which is food dyes. Um, mm. And then the third one is vegetable oils. Um, so when I say vegetable oils, um, that doesn't include things like avocado oil, olive oil, um, coconut oil. Those are, those are generally oils that, that contain, you know, real fat. And, and it's not like, you don't need like a, a breaking bad lab set to, to, to create the oil, <laughs> you know, you need that to do like with the, with the canola oils and, and all of these other seed oils, you know, tell me about it. You, you know, you, yeah. you're like, where, how do, how do we get how do we get you can't put oil? corn you can't put corn in a press in a press <laughs> yeah you can't put corn in a press nope and then i think they bleach it too there's something that they do to bleach it to, to, to i don't know what it is but either way there's just all i will say from that standpoint if i don't want to like bombard people with too much information it's just that it's inflammatory and if you feel like you have aches and pains i'm here to tell you that it's, it, it doesn't have to be something that you just resign yourself to. Like if you're a woman and you think it's like hormones or if you're a man and you think it's because you're just getting older and it's just part of life, there's always going to be some decline. Of mm -hmm. course, <laughs> uh, we try to manage it as much as possible, but like in general, those three things, and, and it just so happens that those three non-negotiables tend to cut out most packaged foods. Sure. Um, yeah. So I will say this is this is great for families because i want i want people to understand that we we um are very adamant and we you know we kind of have strong beliefs but at the same time we're very practical and something that we probably do once or twice a week every week and we have to rotate through them because there's strong feelings from one child to the other of which one is better is rotating through wendy's mcdonald's and burger king patties so okay you can go to these restaurants and you can order patties of beef um, and, and, and you get really good nutrition, 100% real meat, no vegetable oils. Um, and for example, if I go to Wendy's and I say, can I have four large patties? It's generally going to run me $6 
for a pound of beef that's cut into square patties and cooked for me. And I can eat it right there. I take my little shaker of salt. Do we have one in here? Oh, we don't have one in here. Usually, we usually have one in here. Um, and I just, you know, salt the beet, the meat. And and I just, my, my wife and I have been saying this forever. Like, we would love to go into, like, areas where it's it's so crazy when, you, when you're living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. and you really can't step back and look at the big picture. You're just like... It, it generally is a little bit more expensive to eat out all the time, but these people are doing that a lot, right? They're eating fast food all the time because it's quick and it's generally cheap, but it would never be as cheap as buying a quarter steer or a half steer or a full steer, but right. they can't buy that much, right? They don't have that much money. Or they don't have a freezer or they, or they don't, don't have, have yeah. you know, secure living conditions where if yeah. you put it there, it would be there when you come back. Yeah, all those. Yeah. And, and then frankly we stopped teaching people how to cook a while ago. And so these life skills are missing for many people. So it's intimidating. What do you do with a roast versus a steak versus hamburger and those sorts of things? Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of that. No, go ahead. I don't want to. No, uh, Nancy's version was she, cause she got started on the low carb before I did. It took me a while to catch up usually does. Um, (laughs) But her approach was, this is what I want to eat. What would you like to eat? And then, you know, if um, so, and frankly, if we start talking to people about, you know, ribeyes and, and, you know, beef stew and uh, roasts and fish and chicken with the skin and eggs and, you know, full fat dairy, it's not exactly a hardship. Um, Yeah. Yeah, So, in fact, the, the diet thing is maybe even another one of those fr- words that we need to re- yeah. re-examine because it comes with a lot of baggage. Yep. Um, so um, now clearly you're someone who has spent a lot of time around weights and, <laughs> you know, that's something you enjoy doing. Not everybody does, Yeah. but they don't have to, right? Nope. No, I mean, I'll say like going back to the protein thing, you know, there's how many people do you know? Because I know several who interestingly have have really bumped up that that those animal foods um, and maybe replaced other foods that, like you said, our bodies keep asking us for more. My wife always says, you know, like it's like when we give our body that, you know, that those healthy whole grain, heart healthy whole grains, our bodies are like they eat it. And it's like, it's physically quite a bit of volume. So our stomachs are stretched, which is one of the ways that we gauge satiety. We gauge how we're full by the stretch of the stomach. But our bodies are like, eh, wrong answer. Try again. And we're just like, I guess we got to eat more. So we're we're struggling. We're, we're, we're trying to eat more. These people, they switch that. They up their protein. And a lot of them don't even do any type of exercise. And they're like putting on lean body mass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after a certain point, you're never going to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, good, you good. Know, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Very true. Very true. Very true. Um, but like, yeah. So, so I was in Cuba uh, in 2018. And I remember we were, yeah, we just, it was, we, it was before... They, they stopped the travel, and um, and I remember we were on a tour that wasn't a state-sponsored tour, so um, we were really blown away by, like, how real they were with us. Now, granted, we speak Spanish, and we speak exactly like them, so it's like you're talking with family, and so they're telling us all these things, so we could tell that, th- that this was going to be, we were going to get the real scoop from them, and we went to the, the plaza where Castro would do those nauseating like six hour um speeches and maura and my oldest are out there going and listening to the spiel and i had to stay back in the in the 57 bel air with my my youngest because he was it was beautiful it was pink and everything um you know he was sleeping in the back seat and so i'm with all these drivers and we're just talking and they're like how the heck did you get so big like they're just not used to seeing a large person over there like that I mean, maybe the Olympic athletes. And I said, honestly, the, the secret is red meat. And he's like, they're all like, well, that makes, that makes sense. We can't like, you know, it's akin to killing someone. If you, if you slaughter a cow and someone finds out, you better, you better have 
every single piece of awful and viscera and all of that better be cleared out because you can get in really big trouble. And mm -hmm. then they joked because they, there was a little guy standing over there and he was like five, four, five, five. And, and they said, you see him, they, they, they lowered his milk allowance or they got rid of his milk allowance when he was young and look, he never grew up, you know, and they were just joking. I don't know if they were joking, but they said it like a joke. So like muscle is so important. Um, and, um, I'm sorry, I went on that, that, that tirade there and I, I don't remember you were talking about building muscle, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I sorry. Think, well, well, so, or exercise. I mean, people oh, yeah, don't exercise. need yes. to sling Movement. iron around. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the best exercise that I tell everybody is what I tell my parents. Uh, it's two interventions that don't have to be quote unquote exercise that can really improve your health and make you just feel so amazing. One is daily walks. You know, if you can start by trying to get in like maybe like a 20 to 30 minute walk, at some point in the day and then maybe as time goes on maybe turn that into two or maybe a longer walk you're going to just feel so much better because the research suggests across all populations all diets if you walk regularly you have the best mental health the best heart health like it's just it has all types of benefits and then the second one would be something that um dr Rhonda patrick was at a, a cardiac some cardiology meeting earlier this year and and she made a bold claim that she said i believe that within the next five years um sauna use is going to be used as a treatment because it's an exercise mimetic meaning like it it mimics mm. exercise because of like the the little the hormet hermetic stress that it's like a good stress that it puts on your body so your blood pressure goes up transiently but then after your blood pressure goes down and you know there was research that came out in 2017 by a big md phd he's a he's a cardiologist and a cardiac researcher in finland dr yari laukinen mm -hmm. um his first study they looked at mostly cardiac markers and it ended up with all-cause mortality 50 percent reduction in all-cause all-cause mortality mm -hmm. or um so basically meaning like everything that could kill you the risk goes down if you do like regular sauna bathing. So maybe like three to four days a week, 20 minutes in the sauna. Um, it's also a great way to get rid of all the, the weird stuff that our bodies aren't quite used to coming in contact with, like all the plastics and all the, mm -hmm. all the different types of, uh, waves that are, that we're being exposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just a great way to just kind of keep your system healthy. But in general, well, movement, yeah. you, you want to find something that you body like. Body weight. Yeah, body weight stuff. Who's I know you probably know him, um, or maybe you've heard of him. There's a really big carnivore guy who's um, he's just shredded, and he just does only body weight. And he's, mm. I, I forget his name. I think he's Brazilian. He at least has a Portuguese last name, so he, he maybe. Um, mm. And he just does body weight, and he looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, you want to do something that is gonna that's gonna generally be not too painful or not too annoying. right if it hurts stop yeah find and out if, why if it's discomfort for sure like there's always going to be a little bit of discomfort if you do anything uh, that's that's kind of going to give you good enough results that you know you have to kind of push yourself a little bit and, and get out of your comfort zone but pain is no pain, no gain. That's, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so just do yeah. like a lot of people like Zumba. A lot of people get into spinning. A lot of people get into hiking and, you know, mm -hmm. all types of outdoor stuff. That's people for some reason don't classify as exercise, but it totally is, you know, activity. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, okay. Um, what, I mean, assume that we return to something approaching normal, and I hate <laughs> to use that word. Um, yeah, yeah. So, what what do you hope you're doing in five years from now? Gosh, that's such a great one. Let's see, five years. Desmond's going to be fourteen. Um, I currently one of the things that i did not anticipate i anticipated the pay cut that i anticipated for sure when i left that job you know things were going really really well for pharma in 2017 still you know and they and and 
I don't know where they are now, but I'm assuming if you're a drug company, they're probably not going that well. If, if you got a president who's saying that we want you to match the lowest price around the world um, for your drugs here in America, which is kind of, it's a huge kind of ask. And I mean, I think it's going to help the, it's going to help patients who need medications, but well, yeah, the question is, do they need the medications? Yeah, that's for but, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you, are you enabling them? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like, but, it's like the people that got all excited because insulin was too expensive and, and how and now many, it's so much cheaper. Well, they were saying, you know, how many diabetics won't be able to get, you know, type two won't be able to get the insulin that they need. And I'm going, okay, is that the only approach? That's you a know? good thing to, that's a good thing to maybe reassess my grandmother, the last four years of her life, she died at 96. Mm. She was she was just mentally as sharp as ever, but it just was like a cascade of things that happened. And a lot of the drugs that they started giving her started giving her metabolic issues. And then finally she got to the point where the, she was on the insulin. Oh my gosh, Peter, this was like, she ballooned up and she had, you know, emphysema and, and all these things. And, and her baseline was like, if her blood sugar got below like 160, Hmm. she would she was feeling terrible wow um, because they wow. gave her insulin one thanksgiving i think it might have been the last thanksgiving that before she passed um and she passed thank god right before this whole thing happened because mm -hmm. we would have all been just destroyed if we couldn't see her so um and it was a breathing issue you know it was like mm -hmm. respiratory Res issues. yeah 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 um but wow. she um she just ballooned and, and she, they gave her the insulin when she left the, the, the facility. And then she came and she just didn't think about that. She needed to eat carbohydrates and her blood sugar went down to 60. Now for you and I, we probably won't feel a thing, you know, we probably mm -hmm. feel just fine, but for her, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show that insulin really accelerated everything. So you're right mm -hmm. about that. But I mean, just yeah. in general, I was, I was working for a big pharma company, um, in 2017 and, Gosh, my brain is not working today, Peter. Remind me where we started. I just went off on this tangent. In five years. Oh yeah, five years. Okay, so um, so the thing that I that really hit me by surprise was that I had a pretty decent lifestyle. I mean, pretty amazing when you think about it. I got to wear scrubs every day, scrubs and sneakers. I had great hours. It was like nine to five, and um, I only saw my manager once a month. And so now I come home. And I start working and the first two things I, I realized was number one, I'm sitting so much more and because mm -hmm. I'm used to walking around in hospital. So I had to start walking and I got recording software so I could do consults and just record it so I didn't have to take notes. But the amount of work that you do when you go from a nine to five to working your own business is like you, you go from having a nine to five to a five to nine, you know, you, you're so passionate. And so I would like to flip in five years, my goal, um, and we've spoken about this very several times, is to flip, flip it from working seventy percent of the time to working thirty percent of the time. And so everything that we're doing um, with our businesses is geared towards that. And and the reason why is because we want to spend more time with our, our kids. You know, spend more time with the family, and that would be totally unrealistic if we didn't have this cool world we live in where you know, we can make money online and we can be anywhere. And, um, it's just amazing what's happened where, you know, I remember when I first started, I was, I didn't even have a website yet. And I was making money off of Instagram. Like I was just, you know, people were seeing me on Instagram all over the world and they were able to buy whatever it was that I was selling. And that's what enabled me to do this. So that's a big part of it. Um, I definitely want to continue. We want to travel a lot. Um, we, that's a big part of our, our education philosophy with the boys. Um, we focus on three things when we travel, we immerse ourselves in the culture. We, um, we challenge ourselves, like we get out of our comfort zone. So maybe it's zip lining, maybe it's swimming with whales, maybe it's whatever it is for, for our boys to give them those opportunities to kind of get out of their comfort zone. And the last one and most important one, and I know you appreciate this one is, is service, you know, the ability to go to different places and gain a different perspective. Like you're not going to complain about, you know, your Amazon toy, not getting here in two days. If you go to Haiti and you see that they don't have running water, you know, like 
those those things they keep us grateful so um that's the main thing other than that yeah that's that's just kind of working less spending more time with family um there's an idea floating around about you know spending a year or two in a spanish-speaking country for the boys to really um inculcate that spanish because i just kind of sad to say that spanish being my first language and, and mauda's first language and our boys they speak with a great accent but they don't know spanish the way we do because they're they're not exposed to it daily with the exception of Maura and I, whenever we want to hide things from them, we speak in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I so, was just, yeah, I was just thinking about Nancy's dad, who says the same thing about the folks speaking in Italian and thinking that the kids didn't understand. Um, oh, really? And, it's, and so, it's, some of these words, they probably like, they probably know them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the case. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so, uh, where can people find you, and and what sorts of things um, could they access now that we're in the remote world? Yeah. So, um, our website is fatfueled.family. So it's not fatfueledfamily.com. I wish it was. Someone took that. Um, and that's where they can get the podcast. We have a blog. We share recipes. We share all types of stuff on that. Um, we have our shop has, you know, programs and courses and coaching and consults. Um, and I wanted to tell you this because it's not happening yet, but we're in the editing stages. I wrote a kid's book, Peter. I wrote really? a children's book. I took this massive uh, masterpiece. Oh, I don't have it here. I usually have it right here. Um, the um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah. And I turned that into a children's storybook. Nice. And um, it's the first in a series because like I, I know of, for example, there's a series of books called Tuttle Twins and we actually had the author on. We love them. They teach kids about economics and philosophy. So they'll take things like, I don't know if you've heard of this, but G. Edward Griffin's The Creature from um, Jekyll Island. It's like this big. It's about the Federal Reserve and monetary policy. <laughs> And they turn it into a kid's book. And then they have, they have um, there's an amazing um, essay called I Pencil, which is just, mm -hmm. you've heard of that one? Uh, Isaac, uh, whatever it is. It talks about how a pencil is not a pencil. A pencil is wood and paint and aluminum and rubber. And um, it's called the miraculous pencil. So they, they've got that taken care of with philosophy and economics. But we wanted to do kids books that would help them with like personal development and, and mindset. Mm. And so we have a list of books that we're going to do and we're going to unite them with a thread of, um, it's not going to be the same children in every book, but it's kind of, there's a plot that started in the first book that's going to extend into the second book. There's already a cliffhanger. Um, and so it's, that's just been really fun because I'd never done creative writing and it was just a blast wow. to write. So, and that's just, you know, how I feel about children. I think um, it's just, it's amazing how things can change so quickly in a generation. Mm -hmm. And we, we had in the seventies, we had the war on, uh, was it the war on poverty or the war on hunger? The war you know, on and poverty. Then was, and, and hunger too, right? Like in five years, we, we, we flipped it and now we have all these diseases of plenty. And so it's the same thing is happening with this, this culture where, we're getting more and more efficient. We're getting more and more, things are getting easier to access. It's a huge benefit for all of us, more convenience, mm -hmm. but it also means that there's, there's, there's a sense of struggle and um, work and delayed gratification that that's what makes us, you know, that's what develops us as people. And mm -hmm. like kids are missing out on that and they're not having PE and they're not yeah. having to run the mile and feel what it's like for their lungs to burn when they run a mile. Mm -hmm. And so there's just absolutely no challenge for them. And then, you know, when they grow up, there's, there's like, for me, I'm have a strong, strong feelings about my role as a father to boys. You know, if I were, if I had girls, you know, I know that I would, it would be different, but with my boys, I know that it's important for me to, to pass the torch and tell them, you're a man now, son. I mean, that's, that's, they have to hear that. And if they don't hear it, I'm, I'm pulling from, um, wild at heart, John Eldridge. Uh, I don't mm. know if you ever read that book. Fantastic. I've, book. I've heard, I've not read it. Well, it's, it's basically like, if you don't pass that torch on, 
it's called the injury. And then it creates the mm. false self, which can manifest as the ladies' man, the bully, the wimp, you know, mm. all these non-optimal versions of ourselves. But if you tell your kid at the same time, you're a man now, and he doesn't have anything inside to say, I earned that, he's going to have some cognitive dissonance. So yeah. it's not, it's, it's not, because the whole thing about like, everybody's a winner, you know, it's, mm. it's the reason why people kind of rail against that. It's not because they're, they're unsportsmanlike. It's because you're denying the people who worked hard, yeah. the, the benefits. And so like what I tell Desmond, for example, on that little subject is like, winners don't lose, they learn. So you can mm. be someone who wins all the time, but if you don't learn from it and you're, mm. you're just winning because you're lucky, are you really a winner? Yeah, one, one, one of the, one of the, the um, uh, analogies is uh, talking to people who maybe for 20 years, they've done essentially the same thing. And they want to say, I've got 20 years experience. It's like, no, you've just repeated 20 <laughs> years, right? It's a great way to put um, it. Um, so <laughs> the... Uh, the other thing that occurs is is modeling what we'd like to see in oh gosh, others, yeah. and um, you know, you 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 you. It's true you you can't keep it unless you give it away, but it's also true that you can't give it away if you ain't got it. Yep. Um, so those those things, and that ties in with my thought about if you you know. Um, that when you improve your health, you are improving the world. Yes. Uh, because we have no idea who's watching, number one. Um, some of us would rather, you know, watch a sermon than listen to one. So if, you know, um, how many people have we known who they restore their metabolic health, they lose weight. You don't have to lose weight to make impact on your metabolic markers we we know that now but mm -hmm. frequently those two do go together and people watching go what are you doing if yeah. they don't say are you sick like yeah. you know it, it, um i i know lots of people who the assumption was that they they must have cancer if they've lost that much weight i mean it's <laughs> it's remarkable where we've gotten to in in this culture um and and others you've lost too much weight that 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 can't be good yeah <laughs> what, 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 i know that's that's a, if that was me i'd I'd be like i'd feel good about myself if someone said i lost too much weight you know yeah if i struggled with that for so long yeah yeah like, yeah what? that's a good problem to have i don't i'll i'll handle that now i guess i'll yeah. look at that one now <laughs> yeah so um i guess what before we wrap it it's it's been great talking with you and Always. and it's it's too long it I, I, I know it's one of the things i miss is the getting together and i talked to someone the other night about you know we, we, we need to go back to you know the brazilian steakhouse and make them cry um yes, yes. <laughs> make them be like what the we, heck did we're we closed just... you can't yeah. come here <laughs> yep. that's the only place we go when we go out yeah because it's yeah. like why would i pay 50 dollars for something that i can eat like triple at home and it probably cook it better because when you do it a lot your steaks are good you know um i do remember a couple of occasions um going out to you know places that were you know nice places and i'm um, i'm there with the rancher and he's like the, the, <laughs> no this is no, not gonna cut is, it right this is not right oh we had one place that tried to convince me that what they gave me was a, a, a ribeye and and this is downtown St. Louis. This is you can see the arch from the place. And they're like, oh no, this is a ribeye. And we're looking at it, going, no, it's not a ribeye. It's not. <laughs> it just isn't. It's the wrong shape. It's yeah. the wrong, you know. And and several people there were in the beef industry, and they're like, it's like, okay, I get it. You work here, right? The the cook is telling you what to tell people, right? Yeah. I get it. So I'll try to be nice. But was it a chuck guy at least, maybe? No, no, it was more like a sirloin. It was oh no, you, you, you with a discerning person, you're gonna you're gonna look at the marbling. And you're just gonna be like, mm, nope, yeah, yeah, wrong shape, wrong yeah. everything, wrong color. Um, it's a different color, right? The yeah, sirloin is a little bit yeah. darker. Sometimes, sometimes. There's I mean, I guess it's all the same color, but it just I don't know. 
Well, maybe because of the, you, can, the you can have differences in color and it affects the grade and you know there's nothing wrong with it it's just different and mm -hmm. and um so in any case um let's see um if you could if you could meet with sorry yes a different spelling if you could meet with <laughs> say a group of people from the beef industry and again I'm using a phrase that I hate, the beef industry, as if Yeah, they make one. it sound like this this monolith that's like these. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, there's that. And, and, and there's a lot of other things there. But what would you really like to learn from people involved in the ruminant animal agriculture that you don't feel like you know now? Or, yeah, no. let's just leave it there. I think I would love to know how, if it's possible, number one, and if it is, how could we move? I don't know if this is like, I haven't looked into it enough. That's why I don't know. That's why I want to learn about it. Mm -hmm. um, how could we move into a situation where ranchers can, can get together and get into the packing side and get into the processing so that they can have one more power um, have Two, I don't know if it's possible with the way, for example, in this country, like, I don't know if there's the, I'm, I'm assuming that there's, there's going to be in addition to all of the typical barriers to entry that there would be financially. Um, and just from a standpoint of like, I don't know if I want to get into that. I don't know if I want to mm -hmm. learn that. But also there's probably going to be legal issues that, that kind of, you know, favor that, that would, you know, like laws that would, that would keep out, you know, mm -hmm. that would, that would discourage people from doing that. I just, I don't know. I just, maybe that, maybe it's not needed, but, mm -hmm. but it would be kind of cool to see uh, more ranchers, give the ranchers a little bit more ability. And, and I, and if, the, if it's not possible, I just want to learn why, just so I can, mm -hmm. you know learn about that yeah. hopefully what we can do is we can foster conversations from producer through consumer uh, in in all phases of the chain mm -hmm. um and just like when we talk about sustainability i want to include healthcare. Oh, you know yeah. i i want to include you know the well-being of the societies as well as direct environmental footprints um, yeah. So I, I think the only way we can do that is by having more conversations like this and hopefully get us together in various ways, yes. uh, either virtually or hopefully, you know, analog versions uh, <laughs> soon. So um, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time. It's and my pleasure. I look forward to um, the, the, the new um a venture of you know children's book author i think that's awesome yeah that's um, just a, it's just a, a labor of love you know sure of course why not yep. why why not <laughs> yeah. um that's i think what should drive us to a certain extent in in oh, yeah. the lives we're living so um let's see you're on twitter yes fat fuel oh Family. yeah i should i should definitely yeah so fat fueled families on twitter Okay. Um, we're trying to be more active there. I just, I, I usually tend to just post from Instagram. So it's, okay. you know, I don't do that. And there it's the same thing on, on Instagram. It's Danny Vega dot MS. Okay. Danny Vega dot MS and Facebook. You'll find Danny Vega dot MS and YouTube. You'll find fat field family. So generally if they get to fat field to the website or the Twitter, um, they're going to find the other ones. <laughs> and I'll try to remember to post that in the description uh, for the video and the audio when that goes up. So awesome. thank you again, my brother. Thank uh, you, be Pete. well. Yes. Talk to you soon.